this is what's going to happen on over the next couple of weeks. People are going to be all over the place. This is reality. It's like things are not going to be very settled, figuring out life, school, everything. So in two weeks, we'll start the book of Romans and go deep in the gospel of God. No messing around. Two weeks from today. Until then, I believe there's two sermons that we need to hear, I need to hear over the next couple of weeks. Um, and since this is kind of like the start of the, the new school year, um, grad students are back, Kellogg students are back. Hope to see the Kellogg students at the lunch, by the way. But freshmen are here. Freshmen are here starting their, their new life, new school. And so I have a question for the freshmen. In fact, there's a question for the freshmen, but I want everybody to ask it of themselves. All right, freshmen, are you ready? Everybody else, ask it of yourself. It's this. What is your life going to look like in four years? Four years from now, what's it going to look like? I was reading this great article in the Harvard Business Review, uh, and here's the title. Let me put it up for you. The title of this article is, You Make Better Decisions If You See Your Senior Self. You Make Better Decisions If You See your senior self. Now, this is not talking about being a senior in college, which that would be kind of cool, it'd fit well, but it's talking about senior self as a senior uh, citizen, like you're older. Now, here's the idea. Are right, you ready? This is such a cool study. Most of you are disconnected from the person you're going to be in the future. But if somehow you could see what you would look like in the future, it would make you make better decisions in the present. So what they did, this is such a cool idea. They took a picture of a person and they digitally altered it into an aged avatar. Let me show you. So here's a picture of the normal person on this side. And then it gets kind of freaky. There's a digitally aged avatar in the future. Now, as they were doing this test, what they were trying to figure out is that if you could see what you would look like in the future, would you make better decisions? And they determined that those who saw a picture of themselves as a, a senior citizen actually saved more for retirement. Pretty cool. Now, they're kind of pushing the area into ethics now. And one of the professors at Kellogg, uh, Lauren Nordgren, is involved in this. And what they did, maybe some of you were involved in this study. What they did, they took 18 to 24-year-olds, maybe they, they took Northwestern students, and they showed them a future picture of themselves. And those students who saw the picture of themselves were less likely to cheat on a test. And they're thinking, well, how far can we push this? And they're thinking, maybe we can show a picture of people what they would look like 10 years from now if they didn't exercise or they didn't eat right or a picture of themselves of what they would look like if they just kept smoking. It's, 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 a, it's a pretty cool study. But wouldn't it be cool if, if this morning I could take a picture of you and show you what you look like in the future? Wouldn't that be awesome? I, 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 I have no capability of doing that, but it would be cool. So I'm back to the question. What are you going to look like? Four years. Four years is a long time. And your daily decisions that you make day in and day out are going to determine the person you're going to be. A few years back, I was watching Hannah Montana. Not the TV show. That's just wrong. But I was watching Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus, being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey on the Oprah show, and I thought, you know what? 
this will be a great opportunity to bring my children around to look at this great role model. It's awesome. And so we're watching uh, Oprah interview her, and Oprah's like, um, what's your favorite Bible verse? And she's like, I got my favorite verse memorized. And she just, boom, she said, it's Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. And, she, and it says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. A few years passed. She's gone off the rails. And her Hannah Montana Bible quoting days are over. That did not happen overnight. She's making these daily decisions that brought her to this point of moving from some semblance of good to bad. That can happen over four years. But you can also do the reverse. You can go from bad to good. I mean, I showed up at the college campus as a freshman ready to party. And I finished my days at college as a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ, ready to preach his word. How does that happen? That's God's grace. But that shows what happens over four years. And so back to you. What is your life going to look like in four years? We have this cool thing in our church that's going to kind of help you work through this this morning. Uh, it's kind of a grid or an evaluative process to see where you're at now and where you want to be. It's something that we call ethos. You know how a lot of churches talk about vision and what the mission is and what the vision is? We haven't had that conversation in a while. We, over the last few years, have been talking about something called ethos. You see, ethos, it gets what's going on inside of you, who you are and your character and your motives and your actions. And when we talk about ethos, it's who you are and who you want to be who you are as a Christ follower, and who you want to be in the future as a Christ follower. And we have these five statements. And what we're going to do this morning is I want you to evaluate your life as we go through the five where you're at right now. And if you're not in a very good place right now, that is totally fine. You just need to admit that and move on to where you want to be a few years from now. So I'm going to take you to these five statements and just stop, pause, check your life out, evaluate from the Word of God, and see by His grace where you want to go four years from now. So that's what we're going to do. Some of the scriptures, most of them are going to be on the screen. You have to turn to the first one, though, because the first one is humble orthodoxy. Let me put it up on the screen for you. Humble orthodoxy. So we have images for each one, and the image here is we want to be anchored in God's orthodoxy without this arrogant attitude. So let's turn to the book of Ephesians. If you know where Ephesians is at, go ahead and turn to that. If you can't find it, that's fine. Look on someone next to you. Ephesians 4. This will be the only one we turn to. The rest will be on the screen. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, let me start in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As Christ followers, we want to be grounded in the truth of God's word, what you could call sound doctrine or orthodoxy. This orthodoxy is described in verse 13 where it says the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Basically, that means when we study the Bible, we go deep into Jesus. And if we are not careful, we can hear some different winds of doctrine blowing that can come along and wreck our faith. We, we can become, as you see in verse 14, we can become children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That means basically that someone could come along in your college years or your years afterwards and say, Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Are you kidding me? Or they can say to you, you know what? Marriage between uh, and just sex in marriage between a husband and wife, are you kidding me? There's much more fun to be had out there. And these, these, fa- these false ideas can come along and they can wreck your faith. Uh, the, the story I tend to tell at this time of year when the students start coming back is of two guys when I first got here several years ago who would always sit in the front, big Bibles, and they were ready to study the Word. And I would engage them almost every single week after the service about what was going on in their life and things like that. As we were going through the semester, as we were going through the year, one dropped out and the other dropped out, and neither one of them were walking with the Lord anymore. How does that happen? How can you have such good intentions and to care what God is doing in your life through His Word, and then you just throw it all away? Well, there could be a lot of reasons for that. One of the reasons we don't want to be is that you're not grounding yourself, rooting yourself in God's truth. And so what we want to do is we want you to take God's word seriously. When we start Romans in a, in a couple weeks from now, it should be like, hey, I'm going to put as much effort into studying the book of Romans as I put effort into studying school or whatever else you do. Put effort into learning God's word, into studying it, asking hard questions. Don't be content with simple answers. What does the Bible have to say? Root yourself deep in the gospel of God. And once you do that, please be humble. Don't be arrogant. Don't be the Bible-bashing Christian. Be the one that speaks about here in Ephesians. Be that one who speaks the truth in love. Because if we're not careful, you can fall off, say you're riding a horse. You can fall off one or two ways. You can fall off this way where you let sound doctrine slip or you can fall off this way where you have sound, sound doctrine, but you're just a jerk. We want humble orthodoxy. What will your humble orthodoxy look like in four years? You can get a good running start on it by rooting yourself deep in God's word without the arrogant attitude. Let's move on to the next one. Abiding worship. Go to the grid of abiding worship. It's a great image of fruit on the vine. shows that we have this connectedness with God that has this all of life worship. We use a couple passages for this. The first one is in John 15, 5. I uh, put it up for you. It's very popular. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I him, he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Simple idea. We stay in Christ. As we are in Christ, we bear fruit. We do good works for the glory of God. Another passage we use is from Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Some of you have already memorized this one. I'll put it up for you. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This morning, we have all these instruments up here, and we're just participating in something called worship, where we're singing praises to God. The Bible talks about that. But the Bible also talks about something called all-of-life worship, this total devoted worship where you give all your life to the Lord on a day-to-day basis, where you basically say, God, all of me, for all of you, do whatever you want. And then we wake up tomorrow, we do it again. Lord, all of me, for all of you, do whatever you want. But unfortunately, what has happened within the church, and I'm not dogging on any particular church, but I am dogging on a particular theology. What has happened within the church is we have Christians who will say, I have accepted Jesus into my heart, but they're not living for Jesus at all. Legan Duncan puts it like this, as a great uh, scholar. He says, it's almost like Paul, that's the guy who wrote Romans, it's almost like Paul is saying, don't give Jesus your heart. He wants more than that. So if you've come here with a theology this morning that says, I have accepted Jesus into my heart, now I can go do whatever I want on my own priorities, you have come here with a messed up theology, an incomplete theology. We can say good things about Jesus in our heart, absolutely, but if you mean by that, Jesus has my heart, now I can go do my own thing, that's messed up, that's not from the Bible. We're talking about from the Bible, all of life worship, where all of me, all of God, do what you want, total obedience, you are Lord. But what's this abiding piece? Think more about it. It's, it's about obedience, about giving our life to him, but it also has to be connected somehow to this concept of prayer. Prayer. Most of you are competent people. I understand that most students do not get into Northwestern. I understand that. Most are not accepted. Most are rejected. Somehow, you're here. And chances are, it's because you are awesome. <laughs> At least that's what you think, right? So, so, you are competent. You can do your thing. And you are doing your thing. You're doing, and, and most of you, if you follow Jesus, you want to do cool things for God, and you want to use your competency to do that. But I'm, I'm going to tell you this. This is what often happens. You're, you're, because you are competent, it leads to a life of prayerlessness. And a life of prayerlessness leads to more and more self-sufficiency. And as you continue on in the self-sufficiency, you will be ineffective for God. I don't care how competent you are. One of the most important things I'm going to say, I'm going to say here this morning, it's this. You can't skip on an intimate relationship with God and move on to doing stuff for God. Did you catch that? You cannot skip on an intimate relationship with God and move on to doing stuff for God. The two are connected. You want to do stuff for God? You've got to come to him in dependence. Come to him in crying out for mercy crying out for power. But if you just want to pull all this stuff off on your own, go ahead and try that. It's not going to go very well. Now, I must admit, in my life right now, I wish that I experienced more of this abiding worship as I used to have in the past. Because I would say that my graduate years were the best. Those would be, for me, with my seminary years. 
in my seminary years, 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning, almost every single day, I was up on my knees in my dorm while everybody else slept. But it wasn't because I was more spiritual than everybody else. The only reason I was up at 5 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, crying out to God is because I was scared to death. I just got saved. Basically, you did not know the Bible. I took, a, I took an entrance exam in seminary, and I, I mean, I failed it horribly. Like, I mean, like a 17%. I couldn't tell you the difference between Abraham. I couldn't tell you who Moses was. I didn't know anything. And so here I am showing up at seminary. All I know, I love Jesus. I want to preach his word, and I'm scared because I'm surrounded by all these scholars. So I'm up early in the morning, hitting my face. God, have mercy on me. I can't do this. But now, (laughs) I am competent. Yeah? I can tell the difference between Abraham and Moses now. They're not the same person. (laughs) But my my prayer life, it's not what it used to be. We got to remain dependent see ourselves as helpless apart from the grace of God. So where will you be four years from now? Will you find that your prayer life is developing because you see that you are nothing apart from Christ? You can't do anything. You need Him. You need Him. May you spend these years of waking up or going, staying up late, whatever it takes, and spend some time in relationship with God because you love Him, not because you have to, because you want to. That's abiding worship. Now, the third one includes other people, and that's the missional community. And here's this cool image of uh, the city grid and the community of believers um, going out to impact the city, then coming out, coming back together, then going out again to impact the city in this movement that we call missional community. And the passage I want to read here is from the book of Acts, one of my favorite passages in the Bible on community. It comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, Together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Isn't this an awesome community? Did you check it out? They're praying together, studying God's word together. They're taking communion together. They're sharing their belongings. This is pretty radical, yeah? Yeah? Remember we talked in the spring, for those of you here, we talked about this is the radical normal. This may be radical for other Christians, but this should be normal biblical Christianity right here. This radical living together in community. And in our church, we primarily live in community like this, not on Sunday morning, but in something we called our ethos communities. And it's not like we're trying to be cool and say, why don't you just call them small groups? No, they're called ethos communities because we're trying to live out a certain ethos in our church. And part of that is missional community. What that means is that as we live in community together, we're trying to impact the world, but we're also together in community. And that includes everybody. We don't have a campus group called Evanston Bible Fellowship College Group. 
Mm -mm. We want college students integrated with all the groups. So you will find college students throughout the groups. And I could give great stories of students being involved. Last year we had, uh, some of you may know Will Weber. He was involved with a group and he would serve and be served. And he was crazy busy with IV. He was just busy in general. He was a great guy, integrated himself within uh, the ethos community. Because as a church, there are some things that we can offer that campus groups cannot offer. The number one thing that we can offer that campus groups cannot offer, get this, you might want to write this down. This is what we can offer. We can offer old people. (laughs) Isn't that great? You're like, yeah, but I came to school to get away from old people. (laughs) No, no, no. You need us. We need you. This is a way that we can build into your life. Because let's just take this. The old people in here eventually maybe have kids, and their kids are going to go away off to college. And when their kids go off to college, they're going to want other old people building into them. And so as we are older here, we want to aggressively invite and love the students. And you, you may think this won't work, but it does This intergenerational thing is really cool within these ethos communities. But we don't just sit around and go, oh, aren't this, isn't this a great community? But we also try to do stuff. These ethos communities try to branch out and do stuff. Many of the groups uh, impact culture as they, as they serve those who are trafficked, uh, widows and orphans. Uh, my group at Meets in Skokie, we, we, we put this huge thing together in December that, that impacts feeding those who don't have food or need, need stuff. It's really cool. There's a lot of different things going on. So the ethos communities come together and find ways to branch out and serve. So four years from now, what's your missional community going to look like? And I want to specifically address you students, those of you who are involved with campus groups. I want to encourage you to keep that up. We do not have a campus group. We want you to be involved with the ones that are offered. There are great, solid groups. And many of you in here are from different groups. We have represented among us those of you who are from IV, AAIV, CREW, RUF, Graduate Christian Fellowship, Keller Christian Fellowship, Athletes in Action, and others. And I just want to tell you, Now is your time. Now is your time to make it dent on campus, to come together as a missional community, to encourage one another, and to branch out and love other people and share the gospel. There might have been a great crew group before you. There may be a great IV group after you. But now is your time to do something, to function in a missional community that impacts the campus. And that leads us to the fourth one. The fourth statement is invest as sojourners. And this image is our most complicated image. It shows that people are coming from all over the world here to Evanston. And they're here for a while, and they branch out and go back to wherever they're going next. We want you, while you're here, to make an impact for the glory of God. And next week, before we get to Romans, I'm going to preach on this. Invested soldier, it's going to be great. But right now, it's going to show you a quick passage from First Peter. I'll share it from you with First Peter chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
the idea of a sojourner in the Bible is just so powerful. It's one who is just passing through with a permanent home somewhere else. Most of you right now in your life, you are passing through Evanston with your permanent home somewhere else. But the reality is if you are a believer in Jesus, you're just passing through this earth with your permanent home with the Lord and home in heaven forever. So you're a sojourner. If you're a believer, you're a sojourner. But practically speaking, for those of you who are just here for a period of time in this area and then you're moving on to wherever you're going on, now is the time to invest, to make an impact for the glory of God, to love others, to grow. Too many times, students, young couples, singles, those in their 20s and 30s who are just trying to figure out life will come through here, get the goods, the degree, the marriage, the house, whatever, and then they'll move on. But while they were here, they didn't do anything. And they kept thinking to themselves, when I get to my next location, then I'm going to make an impact. That's not the way God functions. Don't think, okay, now I'm not going to make an impact, but later I will. No, no, no. Be an invested sojourner. Start a pattern of faithfulness now so that when you move on later, you'll continue that pattern of faithfulness great question to ask yourself in four years when you move on. Here's a great question to ask when you leave the Evanston area. This is such a great question. You ready for this? When you leave, will you be missed? When you bail out of here, will you be missed? Our church turns over big time, 20, 25%. Each summer, people are gone. And when some people leave, we're like, they can't leave. We need them. They do so much. They've had such an impact. But when others leave, we're like, what was your name again? I'm not being mean or anything. But they came here, got the goods, and they were done. God wants you to invest. He didn't bring you here just for your stuff. Of course he calls you to this great place, but he wants you to make an impact while you're here as an invested sojourner. Invest as you move on. And the last one, pervasive gospel. An image here is the ripples through the water or sound waves through the, through the air, so we preach the gospel has the power to go anywhere. And the last passage is in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. I'll read it to you. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to other the fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not. Like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of the sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We are people commissioned by God to spread this good news. We actually believe that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, reigning at the right hand of the Father for sinners. Those who repent of their sins, put their faith in Christ, can be forgiven and live forever. We actually believe that. And now we want to tell others that good news in a very humble, non-arrogant way. And we want this gospel to pervade ourselves, each other, locally and globally. 
four years from now, where will you be at in actually caring to share this gospel? I'm going to turn into a prophet for a moment. Let's just call it a prediction. I don't want you stoning me if this does not turn out in your life, but I'm going to make a prediction, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be right. Some of you freshmen in here, I know you're not thinking this at all right now, okay, but I'm just going to tell you. In four years from now, some of you freshmen will decide that you're going to put your career on hold. And, and believe me, when you, graduate, when you graduate four years from now, you can really cash in. You can. At least you hope you can four years from now. Some of you will put that on hold, and you will go overseas for one year or two years to share the gospel. That's how serious you're going to be about spreading the gospel around the world. That you will stop your career, which will make your parents mad, and then you will go all around the world. And you don't think that. You just watch. Remember that. Write that down four, four years from now. Don't be surprised if you're doing that. Here's another prediction. Are you ready for this one, freshman? 20 years from now, you will hardly share the gospel at all. Now all the old people in here are to be convicted. Isn't that true? I don't know what happens, but when we get old, it's like, well, I used to share the gospel back in college, but I don't know what happened to me. I mean, are people not lost anymore? Do we just kind of forget about that? Like, like really, the most convicting question you can ask is, that when is the last time you told someone about Jesus? And guess what? If you don't do anything about it, four years from now, be the same. Well, so what are you supposed to do? Well, let's think about this for a second. This past Friday, I was out on the streets of Evanston bothering people, sharing the gospel. And I just want to tell you, as I was telling people about Jesus, out on the streets, I hardly ever talk to anybody my age. I mean, I try to. They're like, I'm sorry, I'm your age. I'm not talking to people on the street. That's just way too weird. And that's just the way it works, right? But while I was out there, this lady came up to me. I didn't recognize her. She's like, hey, you coach my kids' flag football team. I'm like, yeah, I do. And here's the connection. You don't have to go on the streets. You know people in your life. And don't think that just because you're old, they don't want to talk about anything anymore. You would be shocked of how people in your life, because they know you, would be interested in you telling them what you believe and interacting with them. Don't think that all of a sudden, if you're 40 and 50 and 60, that no one cares about any of that anymore. No matter what age we are, we have to get back to sharing the gospel. Not because we're being mean or arrogant. No, because we love people, and the gospel still has power to save people. So I end on a different question. It goes like this. Presidential candidates say this almost negatively. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? And so I ask you spiritually, like, how are you doing today? Are you better off today than you were four years ago? And if the answer is, man, I'm just numb, I'm distracted, not very happy with life. I don't, God makes me mad. God has let me down. I'm frustrated. I'm stuck in some sin. 
you don't have to stay that way. When you meet up with your future self four years from now, and you say, hey, self, how's it going? And your self says back to you, still not going good. You can actually do something about that today in the present. And I believe God has brought you here to try to get your attention, to maybe shake you out of this, this numbness, this frustrating time in your life may be, because he still loves you. He's still involved. He still cares. And his grace is still available. So today, maybe today's a day where you're like, you know what? I'm tired of messing around. I'm tired of being distracted. Today's the day you start pursuing this humble orthodoxy, this abiding worship. You kind of jump into these missional communities and you start acting like an invested sojourner with this pervasive gospel so that when four years go by, you're not in the same spot or worse. God, may you change us for your glory. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters who may be struggling, going through a difficult time, doubts, stagnant, drifting, numb, wherever they're at. I just ask, Lord God, that today would be a day that they would start to make some movement, that you would stir up their hearts to even start to care again. And let them know that you forgive them if they come to you broken and dependent. And just encourage them. And Lord, we do want to grow. We want to have this progressive sanctification growth happening in our life by the power of your spirit. We don't want to be the same people four years from now. We want to become more and more like Jesus. So Lord, may you progressively change us into your image from one degree of glory to another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.